Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pygria and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was written, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams." Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to blood, or excuse me, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Got to be clear about which celestial body is turning to blood, right? <laughs> it's an important point in the story. Um, birthdays are almost always a special occasion for the person who's being celebrated. And I think that that's true even as we get older, even as that number gets bigger and bigger and bigger and, and bigger. We still look forward to our birthdays. And I I think it's especially true when we're, we're younger, when we're kids and teenagers, we really look forward to our birthdays. I know that I always look forward to my birthday. I look forward to waking up in the morning and going out to the kitchen. My mom would always make this little birthday basket for us filled with candies and little knickknacks that all spoke to who we were as people. And I love the opportunity to pick what we were having for dinner that night. Usually it was Chicago deep dish pizza. Um, I'm a Chicagoan at heart. Will, will be and always will be. Uh, and then, of course... Uh, my mom would make a carrot cake for me every year on my birthday. She really only made this recipe once a year, and it was for my birthday and uh, as an act of love for me. And, and the nice thing is that as I've gotten older, as I have my own family now, and now Heather has taken over that responsibility of making that cake once a year for me on my birthday. But of course, there was another tradition in my family. Every year on our birthdays, my dad would retell the story of how me and my three siblings were born. He would tell our birth story. And my dad, I think, really loved to tell those stories. It was an opportunity for him to kind of stretch the truth a little bit, to embellish just slightly about how he felt in those moments. 
Um, so I got to, to hear my birth story, my siblings' birth stories a lot over the years. It, it's kind of like watching the rerun of your favorite show. You didn't care that you'd heard it a thousand times before. You loved to hear those stories. Uh, so my story was I'm the firstborn. All of my mom's kids were born early, but I was born three weeks early. Um, it seems like some of you know that I live my life by one philosophy, that early is on time, on time is late, and late is just unacceptable. Um, <laughs> Although I have sort of relaxed that a little bit, having been the parent of two young kids, because sometimes they make you late. Uh, but it seems like even when I was born, I was living my life by that philosophy, and my dad always made sure to include that I was born the day after the Bears had trounced the New York Giants on Monday Night Football. Um, <laughs> my sister, Kirsten, my, my dad, I think, loved to tell her story the best, because she was almost born in the car on the way to the hospital. And so my dad loved to really amp up the drama with the story of how many red lights he went through, how fast he was going, and that miraculous one last parking spot right outside the emergency room that was left there just for him. And he would reenact the, the banging on the glass door to get the uh, attention of the emergency room attendant. Um, my sister Sarah, my brother David, theirs were probably the least dramatic. Sarah was try, tried to be born just a little bit too early, so my mom had to spend a week in the hospital. Uh, my brother David, he was born after my mom went for her doctor's appointment. She found out she was in labor. Uh, she called my dad. And my dad at this point, this was his fourth kid, he liked to talk about how he felt like he was such a seasoned dad at this point. And he likes to brag about how he didn't go right to the hospital where my mom was in labor, but he went home and had a sandwich first. Um, <laughs> he liked that part of the story. I don't think my mom appreciated that nearly as much as he did. Uh, but now that I'm a dad, I look forward to having this opportunity to, to share the, the birth stories of my two children, Axel and Nora. Uh, Axel's story, I, it wasn't all that dramatic, but it was exciting because it was my first child. And despite all of the books that were read, all the preparation that was done, nothing can quite prepare you for that moment. I always joke that I, I don't think I was a man until I saw my son being born for the first time. So, um, But of course, I've told you all that after he was born, he had a little NICU stay, and that was difficult for us, but I also had this opportunity to focus all of my attention on him, to connect with him in a way that maybe I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do. Now, Nora, on the other hand, her birth was exciting. So Nora was born just this past March. Uh, I had gone to sleep, and then Heather woke me up at 12.15 in the morning. I want you to pay attention to the times here because they're important. Uh, Heather woke me up at 12.15 in the morning telling me that she was in labor, and I realized pretty soon that she was a lot further along than she probably should be when she's waking me up. And um, So I called my friend Garrett, uh, who was here preaching for me a couple weeks ago, to come and watch Axel. And I don't know how many of you have college friends that you would trust with your children, but... Um, We sort of rushed out of the house. We left the house at 12.30 in the morning, and it was this really tense drive. I was starting to wonder if I was going to have the same sort of story that my dad had to tell about my child being born in the car. Um, so we pulled up to the emergency room at Ascension Providence. We pulled up to the little drive-up area there, had to check in through security. But then I had to go back and park the car. They made me go park the car, and uh, Heather's in a wheelchair. I, I, I parked the car. I run back to the emergency room. I never run anywhere, but I run back to the emergency room, and Heather's gone, uh, they had taken her up to the labor and delivery, so I asked the uh, security guard, I said, how do I, uh, where do I go? And he says, okay, go to, the, go to this elevator and take it to this floor. So, you know, I'm frantic at this point, and uh, I go to the first elevator I can find. I, I click the floor I'm supposed to go on, and I end up on this medical floor. Like, it's not the, it's not the labor and delivery unit. And I'm standing there, I got my coat on, I got the to-go bags, and I, I feel like I look like a first-time dad. I don't look like the seasoned, experienced dad I want to look like. <laughs> And um, 
this nurse's aide sees me, and she says, you need some help? I'm like, yes, where's labor and delivery? And she took the time to take me to where I needed to go, and I found Heather. Um, I don't know her name. I don't even know what floor I ended up on, but I'm forever grateful for her uh, because not five minutes after we got in the room, at 1.30 in the morning, remember we left the house at 12.30, at 1.30 in the morning, Nora was born. Um, so remember those old Jimmy John's commercials, Freaky Fast Delivery? Um, <laughs> We had, a, we had a Jimmy John swaddle at home from when Axel was born, and so we took this picture of Nora. You want to bring that up for me, Sandy? Uh, <laughs> freaky fast delivery. Uh, that's how it felt. It's always nice to look at pictures of Nora, right? Um, but we've got to go on. We've got to move on. Uh, birth stories. We love birth stories. We love to, to tell them whenever someone has a new child. We want to know how it all happened. We, we love to tell those, those stories. And it seems like the, the biblical writer Luke has the same sort of affinity for telling birth stories, that uh, he sort of has the same propensity towards stretching the truth a little bit, towards embellishing, because he, he wants you to, to experience how he felt in those moments, maybe not just the facts of the story, but how uh, people might have felt going through those birth stories. So uh, we can imagine ourselves sitting around the table and saying, really, Luke, is that really how it happened? And he would be insistent upon it. That's how it really happened. Uh, So Luke tells us three birth stories. The first two are pretty recognizable to us. Uh, They're in the gospel that bears his name, the the birth of John the baptizer born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, this elderly couple well beyond childbearing years, and yet miraculously they find themselves pregnant. And and John becomes the one who who paves the way for Jesus. And then, of course, the, the second one is a story that we all are very familiar with. It's the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, which is filled with no shortage of dramatic and exciting facts or, or exciting things that happened. A, a census, a, a journey to Bethlehem, no room in the inn, the baby born in the manger, and then the, the angels flipping the lights on in the middle of the night and singing uh, glory to God in the highest, which I'm sure scared everybody. Um, and then this morning we get a third sort of birth story. But it's not the, the birth of a child. It's the, the birth of something totally different. It's the, the birth of the church. And there is no shortage of drama and exciting details in this story either. The the 120 followers of Jesus that were left of Jesus are in the upper room praying, waiting expectantly for the promised spirit to arrive. And as they're praying, tongues of fire appear on their heads and a violent wind rushes through the, the city streets of Jerusalem. And they all begin to speak in languages that they had not previously known. And so all of the the Jewish people living in Jerusalem from the diaspora who speak all these different languages hear their own native language being spoken, and they say, aren't all of these Galileans translated? Aren't all of these a bunch of backwater hicks? And yet we hear them speaking in our own native language. Then, of course, there's the, the thing that makes me giggle every time I read this story, the accusation that the disciples are drunk, and that's how they're speaking in all these different languages like they had been sipping too much from the bottomless mimosas before this or something. Um, and, of course, Peter says, they're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and then, of course, Peter begins his powerful sermon, quoting from the prophet Joel. This is an, an amazing birth story. It's the birth of the church. And it, it's an amazing story to me because the church is not born by human desire or human striving. The, the church is not, not born with a, a financial plan. The church is not born with a long-range plan. The church is born without a, a building or pastors or professional staff. 
The church is born without an ecclesial structure. The church is born without a, a book of order, right, Presbyterians? The church is born simply by the breath, wind, and power of God. That the wind blows, the fire falls, and the, the Holy Spirit arrives, and the church is born. The Spirit arrives. The same Spirit that was with Jesus his entire life, his entire ministry, is now given to the church, now falls on the church. The same spirit that descended on Jesus in the form of a dove in his baptism as he emerged from the muddy waters of the Jordan River and God's voice said, this is my child, my beloved, in him I am well pleased. That same spirit is now poured out on the church. The spirit that, was, that Jesus said was upon him to bring good news to the poor and recovery of sight to the blind, to proclaim the release of the captives and the year of Jubilee, that spirit now is poured out on the church. The same spirit that enabled Jesus to reach out with hands of compassion to a broken and hurting world, that spirit now lives and exists within the church. That whenever Jesus encountered the boundaries of his own time and, and felt the, the need to go beyond them to include people who were left out and excluded, that spirit now exists and lives within the church. The, the spirit that, that kindled a fire within Jesus' own chest for, with a passion for what he called the kingdom of God, a, a realm of, of justice and equity for all people, that spirit is given and poured out on the church. That the, the wind blows, the fire falls, and the, the spirit arrives, and the, and the church is born. But this is not just a, a communal event. It certainly is a communal event. In all of its universality, it is also one that is highly individualistic because on each and every person gathered there, each of those 120 followers of Jesus, the Spirit is poured out on them. They too are a birthplace of the Spirit. On sons and daughters, that younger generation, the, the Spirit is born in them too. On those that, that Joel calls the slaves, the underclass, the, the forgotten, the left out, on them, they too are a, a birthplace of the Spirit. Even on the older generation, Peter says, quoting from Joel, on them, they, the Spirit is being poured out and they are dreaming new dreams and they are casting new visions. The wind blows, the fire falls, and the Spirit arrives and the church is born. But this is, of course, a risky birth. That God takes a, a tremendous risk, I think, in, in giving the Spirit in this way. I've I've always thought that God could benefit from having some risk management person on his divine counsel. Um, because God takes these really risky steps. God makes these really risky plans. That, that the, the risk is that as the Spirit is born in the church, the risk is that the, the church will not be a good caretaker of the Spirit. I mean, the, the Spirit is born in these 120 followers who just last week were still asking Jesus, when are you going to be the Messiah of power. And yet on them that the Spirit is poured out. The risk is that, that as the Spirit is, is poured out, as the, as the generations go on and, and get further and further away from Jesus, the, the risk is that we might look less and less like Jesus. The risk is that the, the Spirit will become uh, caged in by church bureaucracies and ecclesial structures. The, the risk is that the Spirit will become caged in by doctrines and creeds and simply making statements about who we think God is. The risk is that when people look at the church, they won't see inclusivity and gracious welcome, but they'll see 
exclusion and shame. It's a, a risky step that God takes. It's a risky birth that God initiates here with the giving of the Holy Spirit. But as we know, with every risk, there is also a potential reward. That with every risk, there is also this great perhaps. And to me, that underlies and underscores the importance of us telling and retelling this birth story. I asked my dad this week, I said, why did you like to tell the stories of when we were born so much? And and one of the reasons he gave was that it was... uh, it was unique to each one of us, the ways that we were born. It was like the, the fingerprints of, who made, of what made you who you are. And as we tell and retell this birth story, it reminds us of the unique fingerprints of what makes us the church. That the wind blows, the fire falls, and the Spirit arrives. And so perhaps the church born of the Spirit will live into that image of Jesus that it is called to, to live into. That I think God takes this risk because God knows that there will always be pain and heartache in the world. And so perhaps the church born of the Spirit can be a place of healing and wholeness for other people. That God takes this risk, I think, in part because, because God knows that there will always be ideologies that will tell people that they are not good enough, that they should be excluded. And yet, perhaps the church can be a place where people can find gracious welcome and inclusivity. That God takes this risk, I think, because God knows that, that the strong will always try to trample down the weak. And so maybe the church can be that place where that fire for the kingdom of God can be kindled, that fire for justice and equity in the world. That the Spirit is born in us again and again and again. That Pentecost is not just an event about what happened long ago in Jerusalem, but it's about what happens here and now. That the wind blows, the fire falls, and the Spirit is born in us once again. The preacher Tom Long tells a story about when he was a pastor, just starting out his ministry at a small church. And uh, he said, announced one Sunday that he was going to start a pastor's school to, to teach anyone who wanted to learn the basics of the Christian faith, and that it was going to start the following week. And so the following week after service, he went into the education room where this class was going to be expecting to be greeted by the great throngs of his congregation, ready to learn all the basics of the Christian faith. But he was disappointed to find that there were only three elementary age girls in that classroom. And so he tried to, to hide his disappointment as he, for the next several weeks, taught them the basics of the Christian faith. And, and finally, the Sunday before Pentecost arrived, and he said to the little girls, he said, do you know what Pentecost is? And they say, no, we don't, we're not sure what that is. And he says, well, Pentecost is where... Uh, there's a, a wind in the church and the divided tongues of fire rests on the heads of everybody in the church and they all speak in different languages. And, and two of the girls seemed uninterested by this, but another little girl, her eyes got like saucers, she said. And she said, I'm sorry, Reverend Long, I think we were absent that Sunday. <laughs> and he said, the beauty of the story is not that she misunderstood but that she thought that God's Holy Spirit would be poured out on their little congregation and give them a word that the world desperately needed to hear. I guess the beauty of children is that they understand that these stories are happening still. Now, I, some of you saw this on my social media this morning. I asked Axel, I told him it was Pentecost today, we're going we're gonna to wear red. And he, and he, do you know what Pentecost is? He goes, no. I said, well, Pentecost is where uh, there's a, a wind and there's a fire and the Holy Spirit arrives. He said, well, we need to get a fire truck to put that that, uh, that fire out. 
The wind blows, the fire falls, and the Holy Spirit arrives. Even here and now, here in Metro Detroit, here at Greenfield Presbyterian Church, the Holy Spirit is still arriving, that we are still telling that birth story that is happening right now among us, that it's happening now in this congregation in the ways that we have continued to seek to be a congregation of of inclusivity and welcome, the way that we have stood at the forefront of, of LGBTQ inclusion in our denomination, the ways that we have challenged them to welcome all people no matter who they are or who they love. In those moments, we are telling a birth story. Or in the, every pot of chili that we make down at Crossroads Soup Kitchen, and every item that we collect, and every basket made for the welcome in, that's a birth story where the, the wind blows, the fire falls, and the spirit arrives. In all of the ways that we have sought justice, that is a birth story. Some of you know, as we've gotten to know each other over the last year and a half, that one of my great passions is to work for social justice, specifically to work for, for racial justice. And, and I've been uh, working with this organization called Michigan Liberation that works to address issues around mass incarceration. And um, so if you remember back to November last year, we did a, a postcard writing campaign with them where we wrote letters asking Michigan le- legislators to end the practice of cash bail, a, a practice that disproportionately um, affects uh, communities in poverty and communities of color. We wrote 220, 230 of those postcards and sent them off to legislators. And, and then, of course, on, on Christmas Eve, we collected for the bail project over $9,000. And so as I've been working with this organization, I get to tell them that story. And let me tell you, you all have left an impression on those activists and community organizers. You all have impressed them with the work that you've been doing. And I didn't realize it till this week. But every time I was telling them that story, I was telling them a birth story. A time where the the wind blew, the fire fell, and the Holy Spirit arrived here among us. Wind blows, the fire falls, and the Holy Spirit arrives, not just in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, but here and now at Greenfield Presbyterian Church in Metro Detroit, through us and in us. Thanks be to God. Amen.